Welcome back to the Architecture Firm Marketing Podcast, a show where I speak to architects who have found success in their business, marketing, and communications, as well as consultants and experts who will share their unique tips and strategies to help you attract your ideal clients. I'm your host, Dave Sharp, marketing consultant for architects. And if you'd benefit from professional advice and guidance on your marketing, you can head to vanityprojects.com to check out my coaching services and book in a free 30-minute consultation to discuss your situation. Today's episode is sponsored by Bowbird, and I'd like to thank Bowbird for jumping on board and supporting the show. I've known Nick and Ben, the founders, for years and seen their platform grow from this small startup in Melbourne to now being all over the world with reach into China, the UK, Europe, and the US. If you've seen other architects and interior designers getting lots of media coverage all over the place and wondered, hey, how do they do that? There's a good chance they're using Bowbird, and that's because many of the best publications in the world source their content through Bowbird, like Wallpaper, Frame, ArcDaily, and many more. It's very easy to use as well. So if you've ever had a project professionally photographed, then you've got everything you need to get started. You just upload your project and start submitting it to your favorite magazines, newspapers, and websites. So if you'd like to find out more, I have a previous episode of the podcast with the co-founder, Ben Morgan, titled Figuring Out the Architectural Media. It's episode 12. Or if you just want to use Bowbird and try it out for yourself, then head over to bowerbird.io. Joining me on the show today is Ben Peak. Ben is an associate at Carter Williamson Architects, a prominent 18-person practice in Sydney known for playful, clever, and crafted architecture. In this episode, Ben and I chatted about how the practice has developed a niche for itself over time and the vital role the practice's past clients play in generating positive word of mouth, why the practice believes it's important to be a part of the conversation, contribute back to the profession, and advocate for a better built environment at every level of government. We also spoke about the reasons that Ben believes it's important to have a varied approach to marketing in order to reach a wide variety of clients, from alternating between different photographers to hiring videographers to create project films to exploring a broad mix of media and awards opportunities. And finally, we talked about how the practice has divided up the different marketing responsibilities throughout the team, as well as how they've designed a generous sales process for new residential clients. I really hope you enjoy my conversation with Ben Peak from Carter Williamson Architects. Ben, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. You're welcome. Uh, it's going to be awesome. So uh, I guess to start off, uh, it'd be interesting to maybe uh, maybe tell us a little bit about Carter Williamson for people that haven't like come across the practice. What do you guys do? What's your what's your vibes? What's your about page? You know, in terms of in terms of how you describe yourself to the world. So yeah, yeah. just tell us a little bit about Carter Williamson and some of the projects that 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 you guys work on. We work on yeah, great. Well, so Carter Williamson is a firm. I think we're about 15, 15 to twenty years old. I'm not sure exactly, but uh, founded by Sean Carter. Uh, and we are a design studio based in Summerhill, which is in Sydney's inner west. So one of the areas just outside the city, but has a really, for people who don't know Sydney, the inner west has a really strong culture and a really strong vibe. So I think we're quite well known for uh, a lot of the houses we've done in the inner west over the years, but we've also done a few small public buildings um, and increasingly doing commercial and educational work as well. So quite broad. We're about we're 18 people at the moment, so a fairly Whoa. decent size for a small practice, you know, which is really great and quite a flat hierarchy, I would say. So people get a lot of design experience, a lot of on-site experience. And in fact, that was one of the reasons that approached, I uh, was interested in Carter Williams in the first place. Yeah. 
Yeah, so how long have you been at the practice for, man? So it, it was eight, it's been eight years. I think it was eight years this right. year. So uh, I started when I was doing my master's. So I'd yep. worked, I worked part-time while completing my studies and sort of slowed the studies down because I was getting great experience in practice. So I ended up doing yeah. that part-time uh, over three years rather than two uh, and, you know, learned a lot on the job, which is that sort of apprenticeship studio sort of idea. Yeah. So, so you touched on that point about where, where you guys are at in Sydney and it's the area that's known for kind of lovely, cool projects and there's a good vibe. What's the, what's that what's that vibe, I guess, for people that, you know, I'm not from Sydney. I, I guess some people that are in other places, you know, what what makes that sort of a bit of an epicenter for, for, for good design, residential design anyway? Yeah, I think when I first moved into the city, because I grew up in Western Sydney originally. And when I yeah. first, you know, spread the wings and moved into the city, I moved into Annandale, which is part of the inner West. And I think there was always something I quite liked about that area in that it had, it has elements of suburbia, but the city is right there. And, you know, the melting pot of cultures is right there. Newtown is right there, which is one of those great suburbs you know when people go to Fitzroy they say this is like the new town of Sydney you know there's a great (laughs) beer culture there's there's pubs and clubs there's shopping and then you get you know interesting fashion and the universities are around there so you get there's young people and diversity and I think that mix of being close to you know the city with the CBD which is that sort of capital center mixed with this other diverse population i think is what people like there's a real yeah there's a real mix of cultures and mix of diversity i would say and it's yeah. the you know all the and, brewers are in the inner west marrickville is yeah. the, the center of brewery yeah. in sydney there's the gin distilleries so there's that sort of um you know entertainment food and beverage aspect to it as well and it's constantly changing you know the inner west now yeah. is completely different to you know 20 years ago when i moved into the city yeah and so your project, do they tend to kind of concentrate around that area for the most part? So, you know, it's that age-old thing where you get clients based on the previous projects you've done. So yeah. if you do a house in Camperdown, you get another house in Camperdown or you do a house in Annandale, <laughs> you get another house in Annandale. So there's that sort of, particularly with people's homes, they like, they obviously like where they live. And I think getting an architect, you know, starting a relationship with an architect in a way, is an extension of liking the area you live. So a lot of the new clients I speak to are within the area or or find, or find something in the projects that we've done that speaks to them in some way. And I think location mm-hmm. is definitely one of those. You know, there's yeah. also the principles about what's included in the architecture uh, and the design is something that gets people as well. But definitely where you're based and where your previous projects have been done is a consideration. Yeah, for sure. It's it's always tough to find that. I guess everyone's always looking for that point of difference or or, or or what do we do? And very rarely do I meet a practice or interview a practice that has that super clearly mm. articulated. Everyone's just kind of like, it's a bit of a work in progress and we're figuring it out as we go. But maybe are there any hints or clues based on stuff that you've picked up speaking to new clients or people that approach the, approach the practice that's, you know, we get a bit of feedback or response that this is kind of how we're seen in this local area? Yeah, I. that's a really interesting question. I think I'll start with the how we perceive ourselves. And it always is yeah. a constant work in progress because our focus really is about servicing our clients. And for yep. better or worse, 
thinking about ourselves is always secondary. And the example I'll use is we've been working on our new website for years. Seriously, uh, 2019, we started. Obviously, we've had a pandemic to, to deal with in that time. Yeah. But it's something we identified we wanted to do. But for whatever reason, we've just been focusing, you know, on working and servicing our clients. So, but what I what I hear from people is they often think or, or they often say that our architecture is not the quirky is not the word they use, but a little bit different to what they see elsewhere. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. and I think you know, obviously, you know, if you're trained in architecture, you can see there's some similarities from project to project. But clients like that there's the the input of our clients in the work. And we really see it as a, a long conversation that we have with our clients from the very first meeting, you know, through to handover. We're, we're definitely not a firm which we give, like to give lots of options. Um, and I think that sort of is reflective in the built outcome. Yeah. Yeah. So you're not that this is our singular vision, sort of our way or the highway. You're like, okay, let's really work with you. Lots of options, that sort of thing. So yeah. lots of choices, lots of back and forth with the client. Yeah. And we, and this is related to your question in the sense that we haven't, we don't really clearly say what we're about. I don't think yeah. as clear as others, you know, I quite look, I look at other firms and go, wow, that's a really clear vision or purpose yep. for us. When we're meeting with new residential clients, it's really about let's come in, let's have a conversation about you and your project. Yeah. And in that process, we talk about the conversation. So we're going to obviously do the design work. We'll present you options. We'll present ideas and thinking to you. And we'll give you as much information as we can for you to then pull the levers and direct the design. So from that very beginning, we say this is this is the start of a conversation. In that first sketch meeting, you know, this is not the only option here, but this is a way of us to getting to know each other, the way you imagine living in the house. And then you tell us what you like, what you don't like, and we'll go away and do the work and come back to you again. So there's a real, yeah. from the very beginning, we're talking about that iterative process, which involves them. Yeah. 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 Hearing two things there, you saying, tell us like what you like and don't like, and we'll go away and work on it, A, and then B, also the client directing the design in some way. These are not things that I hear very often. <laughs> <laughs> kind of taboo things to uh, to say in terms of the power dynamic between architects and clients. And I think that there's just general, uh, there's this general sense of the architect has to maybe take control early on in the process and really assert dominance mm, <laughs> over mm. the client. That's uh, a, a bit of a thing I pick up on, but but, but for you guys, it's no. <laughs> well, I, No, yeah. that's not it. I guess we're always strategic as well, so... Yeah. Yeah. Let's be honest about it. What do we really do? Yeah. I guess it's a little (laughs) bit like that. I mean, I don't have kids, but for some reason, this sort of parenting tip has stuck in my head where you don't ask your child what they want for dinner. You say, do you want spaghetti or do you want a cheese toasty? And so (laughs) the the child, I mean, this is probably not the great analogy when talking to clients, but they're making a a decision and a choice on something which we pre-selected for them. So They've already, you know, they've engaged us to do the work. So we've filtered through the options and we're presenting to you three or four options. There's many more on the table that we've designed and discarded through that process. So you're already seeing, you know, great options and these would all work. So we're not giving them the responsibility of choosing a great outcome because they're all going to be great, but it's which which speaks to them 
in the right way. Based on the way the way that you talk about your projects and, and what people see, the, the sort of the real range of different stuff that that is that's in your portfolio do you think that you know the expectations are fairly clearly established in a way you might not say directly on your website we uh this is how we will work with you but when they're coming in as a potential client do you feel that they're not there's no sticker shock there or what they're not going oh my god i can't believe it's like this i was expecting something completely different somehow there's the way you work and what the end product is and what people see from the outside as an alignment mm that people would almost anticipate that kind of quite adventurous process in a way because they see the different projects and they're like, wow, this is, there's really a client in this. Yeah. You know, like that's what's drawing them in as well. Yeah, and we, we try to take our clients to as many of our previous projects as possible through that design stage. Oh, interesting. So we might have a conversation in the office around a void and what a double height space for a living room might give you and might add to the design. And we'll show photos and maybe we'll show a video, but really what helps with their understanding of that space is to take them to one we've done previously. And from our perspective, it's, it shows them in 3D, in, like in real life, the ideas yeah. and the concepts we're talking about, but also shows that we have you know, a great relationship with our past clients to the point where they're happy for us to bring new clients around. So there's getting getting the design ideas and the architectural ideas, but also seeing that we're good people to work with. Yeah, I've, it's crazy. I've actually never heard that before <laughs> um, from anybody. No one's told me that they've done that. The exception is where usually where an architect has designed their own house. Mm. It's okay, cool, come over to our place. But let's actually go visit and bother our previous clients. I've not heard that before, so that's cool. And you know, that's we really don't do, awesome. You know, some clients are more private than others. But yeah. by the time you finish your house, you've been to a bunch of projects before. So it's almost yeah. as if you're, you have, you've benefited from that process. So then you're happy to do it for the next round of Carter Williamson clients. Um, yeah, that's right. So it's, yeah, so it's a, it's a part, it's a ritual that gets passed on yeah. through the clients. I love it. We've actually um, had clients to say, oh, you know, when are you bringing people around? To our place. When you come around yeah. to our place. Yeah, we'll yeah. that's settled. exciting. Enjoy Christmas and then we'll talk to you in the new year. Yeah, on, on that on that point of actually the impact of actually visiting a real project, mm. which is a very rare experience, you don't really get that many opportunities to actually visit the good architecture that we see on Instagram and see on you know the the design blogs. Yeah. Do you is that something that you and the practice do a little bit of in terms of are there other circumstances where people can actually come to these projects? Do you do open houses or do anything else that kind of gets people into spaces, or is it primarily new clients? Uh, you know, bring them on a very private tour. Yeah. Um, uh, from time to time, we do do more open things, but it's from a select list. So it's really, yeah. you know, past clients, sorry, current clients, collaborators, council. So we, we invite the planning officers back to see the projects at the end. Seriously, you're kidding me, no, really? I mean, because, you know, the firm's history in the inner West also has been um, challenging the planning controls to get the best yeah. built outcome. So we like to bring the planners back to show them, this is what we were fighting for. This is what we, what we saw for the project. Yeah. And That's amazing. Yeah. I think, I think, and the other thing is students. So we'll have, you know, contribute to fundraising and, you know, the prize or the raffle might be a, a site visit or, or a practice visit or a project visit. So I think they're yeah. the three sort of examples. 
That's really, really interesting. I think in terms of the projects as well, uh, as far as what people say, you were talking about the sort of, it's, it's hard to put into words what the projects are like as a group. But, you know, you mentioned the word quirky uh, is a comment that clients had raised. I, I sort of, it's it's interesting, isn't it? Can we drill into that a little bit more? It's, it's, it's tricky territory, but I think about it as almost like, the projects have very clear concepts from the name. They're very well branded, you know, concrete blonde, gesticulating wildly. You guys go, you go all out with your crazy cool names. Yeah. There's a clear visual something in the project, something that stands out that's unique or that's very one of a kind, usually a sort of a central feature. I feel like I'm trying to be an architecture critic here and, and, and I'm gesticulating wildly, but fun, <laughs> livable designs, right? I, even like looking at some of the feedback that, you know, when, when those two projects, for example, have been featured and gotten a lot of views on the local project on the YouTube channel or whatever, yeah. the videos made about them, extremely positive comments where people are going, you know, I see a lot of architecture stuff, but that's a project that I could really see myself living in. Yeah. It feels like I could really live there. A real person could live there. What's all that about? How, <laughs> what, what are the, how do you guys do this? Well, I think is, is, is interesting and embrace it. I think embrace it, not only just in terms of the design, but then when we, go into the marketing territory and really communicating the project it's you continue it you know it's very consistent yeah i think i mean there's a few there's a few things there and i can hear sean in the back of my head you know <laughs> some of the i guess some of the principles of the practice yeah. and one of them is is really around making spaces for living so life's messy so we like our buildings to be robust you know they're not art galleries the material mm -hmm. often the materials and textures of the buildings are what you see you know, so we try and avoid a lot of applied finishes in where possible. So, you know, so concrete blonde is concrete floors, exposed brickwork, exposed concrete ceiling, and then really lovely joinery. So there's not all those surfaces you can, you know, bash your hand against and you're not yeah. going to break anything. And so I think I think that adds to a livability in people's minds. Our photography isn't overly styled. So yeah, interesting. It's, it's mostly our clients' furniture with a little bit here and there. And I think that adds to it as well. You know, it's not a display suite. It's actually someone's home. And so yeah. it's not as if all these things are really active, but I think collectively they say something. Yeah. I think, yeah. And we, I think, you know, Carter Williamson, we, we talk about being part of the conversation. So, you know, doing social media posts or entering our projects into awards is all really about, our contribution to the profession, sharing our work and, and not being overly precious about it. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it, it's interesting. So, okay, the first issue I want to think about is this idea of we don't go all out in terms of styling, in terms of going for that art gallery thing, but we obviously have an aspiration or a lot of practices have an aspiration where we're like, we do want to work on maybe... Hmm bigger projects with bigger budgets. And then we start thinking about that and we start thinking, what's our stereotypical idea of a wealthier or more affluent client? What would they like? What would they appreciate? So then you're like, better wheel out, you know, Jardin's store and put it in the place and just go all crazy with it, right? But 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 you guys have kept it quite restrained. Clients, real furniture. Let's keep it actually quite real uh, and, not, and not overdo it in pursuit of this image. I'm maybe projecting what other practices talk about onto you guys a little bit but but it is this issue when you are thinking about elevating projects in a way yes. you have to almost restrain yourself a little bit too sometimes and let's not go so far that this looks like a place that a real person would never be in or has never been inside of yeah which can happen sometimes right yeah and i think you know obviously we've got a few projects on the books at the moment which are higher budgets than the ones you will see on our website 
And so they will yeah. come with, you know, the full fit out of designer furniture in the in the design themselves. But we we at this point we won't be substituting, you know, we won't be swapping out the client's lounge or the co- client's coffee table because. <laughs> We've yeah. been involved in that decision-making process and we think that's the right one for this house and that's the right one for that client. So, yeah, yeah and again, that's not a real overly strategic approach. It's just the, the relationship with our clients, the relationship with our projects, that's the approach we take. Yeah. No, that's interesting, but I think that's the lesson as well. It's trying to be authentic to whatever mm. that real relationship is and then that feeds through into the next generation of clients as well where you've established that from earlier on and then they're more willing participants in the process and they want to be an extension of that, you know, whether it's having people over or it's being kind of a bit more open or a bit more available about themselves mm. and their personal lives and all that sort of thing. So that's really interesting. Yep. You touched on involvement in the profession and as you said, being part of the conversation, that's a really good way of putting it. And I think it's, it's another clear reason that you guys are on the podcast, which is you're very, you're very, you're very vocal. You're, you're, you're advocating on a number of issues, you know, uh, whether it's Sean sort of writing uh, pieces for Architecture AU about fees a couple of years ago mm-hmm. or involved in political campaigns. You guys are, you guys are out there, not only just in terms of awards and media and social media, but very, very much part of the conversation. So maybe in terms of the practice principles, do you want, could you go a bit further into kind of why, why that's important what, what role that sort of plays in the relationship between you and your clients or how mm-hmm. clients see you? I mean, I'm, I know it's not all about the clients, right? Of course, but I'd be interested in your thoughts on where that does cross over with clients, what that does mean to them, you know? It's quite, it's quite interesting because obviously as a, as a sole owner of the business, it is Sean's business and yeah. he, his interests in a way filter through the office to some level. But one of the principles I think he brings to the studio from a leadership point of view is we want you, the whole person, to come to the office. So we're not a firm, and I'm not suggesting that other firms do this, but we're not a place mm. where you come and you leave your values on the door and you just you just grind all day on the computer. So yeah. people who have particular interests or particular want to make particular contributions to the profession or the community more broadly, you know, they're welcome ideas and welcome conversations to have. So I guess one of the prominent things we've done as a firm has been the Save Our Serious campaign, So, which is fighting for public housing to be retained in the centre of the city and saving a particular brutalist building. And that started because Sean was involved, he was a president of the chapter of the Institute at the time and got involved with the local community there. And then obviously, you know, I shared that passion, so then I got involved in the program. And then we met someone, we met Amira on the Save Our Series campaign. She was a student at UTS and we ended up getting Amira to come on board in Carter Williamson. So there's that two-way street between what you're out there advocating for, what you're saying to the public, and then, you know, you're lying to people or you're not lying to other people. So I think definitely our advocacy has been more valuable in the staff space. You know, people come to us and say, we see what you're out there doing we think this is a great place where we want to work. I don't yeah. think we would, from what I know, we haven't really got a client from that work. Yeah. But we didn't do it to, 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 we didn't do it expecting that we would. If anything, mm. we thought taking the New South Wales government to court might lose work us. for us. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. But I think what it does, and we've picked up a bunch of 
heritage work for the state government. So I think what it says is we really, you know, we understand our values and we think we're we're in a good place to fight for them. I think that's you can whether you believe in one cause or another, I think that's a transferable attribute that people can recognize. Yeah, that's very interesting. You don't end up completely, uh, you know, burning your bridge or becoming blacklisted <laughs> with uh, with the government because of you know taking them to task over some you know some poor decision making. Um, uh, similar to what you talked about earlier with the planning people, it's hey, you know, no hard feelings. We still love you. You know, we're, we're just <laughs> yeah. come give, we're, this. You know, it's not personal. We're just trying to you know really try and raise the bar in some particular way here. Yeah. But but it's a very it's it's almost the exact opposite strategy that a firm that was aspiring to do more public work would typically take. Right. I think there would be people that would be like, let's kind of, kind of contain those views that we might have um, mm-hmm. for for reasons that let's not make any uh, any enemies. But it's but it's interesting. So so a client, you know, not directly coming from a project serious, of course, but you know what, it, it must still have some value to to your clients to, I guess I guess understand that uh, the the passion and earnestness behind those views i suppose it has to it has to have some effect mm. or some sort of uh additional meaning to them right or i'd be very surprised if they were just walking in off the street and going oh i had no idea you guys did any of this stuff yeah, yeah. <laughs> or, or are they i mean how aware are they i suppose if they're following your you know your social media and your communications they must be keeping and probably following you and sean on twitter they must yeah, be keeping abreast of that stuff a little bit i mean we did try and keep it separate you know carter williamson never went out there and asked yeah. clients to sign up to save our series or anything but obviously there's there's definitely crossover with you know sean being the recognizable face of the firm yep and you know i've had clients who have been at the art gallery of new south wales and taken a photo of the book and text me a photo to saying oh you know your book's in the art gallery so i know yeah. you know that must feel nice as well to know that the person who's involved in creating your home you know has done this thing for the community whether you whether you agree with what we were arguing for or fighting for or not you know the fact that we did have an influence and we did have a public voice i think just that in itself is a, a rare attribute i think people would appreciate yeah absolutely it's it's interesting in terms of the profession aspect of it as well, giving back to the profession. You mentioned that, you know, that it's really helpful on the employment side as well in terms of it's it, having having a reputation in the industry. Mm. It's just something that I want to touch on a bit more because it's this really crazy common thread amongst almost everybody that I kind of bring on the podcast. I don't intentionally bring them on because uh, you are doing a lot to contribute to the architecture community, but they all just seem to be doing that and also really accomplished and successful mm-hmm. at their practice as well. And I'm trying to understand what the links are between those two things and why those two things seem to align so often yeah. with, with practices. I'd be interested in you, from your vantage point, you know, what you, what you think could be going on there. I don't know, but it's something I'm interested in as well. I gave a talk recently for... Cumulus Studio do, they do a link up on a Friday night, Friday night drinks to bring all their offices together. And I spoke to them around Sirius and around a couple of the projects, Woodcroft Community Centre and Concrete Blonde, actually. But in yep. as I was thinking about doing, giving that talk, I was thinking about all the things that the profession, you know, to put a big loop around it, offers you and as what has it offered me. And I was just reflect. I didn't talk about that, but I was really reflecting during that time that, you know, you look back from university and being involved in Sirius, the Julux study tour on a couple of the gender equity task force 
for the Institute of Architects. You know, there's all these bits and pieces. There's the editorial committee. Yeah. You know, there's writing for Houses Magazine, writing for Architecture Australia. There's all these sort of things which you can be involved in, which is completely different to what I thought the role of the architect was when I decided to become an architect. You know, yeah. you you think the role is really about designing and buildings, but I would say there's a much broader role to be a professional. And in that role as a professional, we have some obligations to work for the public or work for the public interest. So as a, for a doctor, for example, we say, well, they're in charge of people's health. Scientists, you know, they're in charge of figuring out what's going on with the climate. And architects yeah. and urban designers, well, they're the built environment people. And so I think there's a role that we have to our clients, which is foremost, you know, we'd work, talk about our clients all the time. But then the question to me is, well, what's the broader contribution to society beyond that? And I think if you start to think like that, then everything is architecture. So there's no real yeah. division between who you are as a person, who you are in the office. This is just your role in society. So it's not my, my job at Carter Williamson. It's just what I'm contributing to. And that, you know, for better or worse, that's the sort of space I'm in at the moment. So I feel like if, you, if, it's, if you're thinking about it constantly, it's your whole life, I think, of course, you're going to be successful at it. And you're going to look for these other opportunities to be involved in contributing to the profession or working for community groups or, you know, tutoring or educating, all those sort of things branch off. And I, I'm sure there are detrimental things to that approach you know you could say that it's all encompassing it would take over your life so obviously you need to have a balance and need to have other things but you can almost look at you can look at everything around you as an enriching thing for your profession as an architect yes. so i'm not sure if that answers your uh, question at all but <laughs> oh, it absolutely does no it's very very interesting um and very insightful um i, I think that's also it brings to mind for me as well that it's sort of separate topic about the public projects. So I've been asking quite a lot of questions around the residential stuff at the mm -hmm. moment, but there are these other categories that, you, that, that you're working in, multi-residential projects in your portfolio, public stuff. I'm interested in reflecting on, was that work that was going on, say, eight years ago when you joined the practice, was that was that stuff that was in in development then or has that come about in more recent years? Has, so basically, essentially, my question is, has the practice always had a balance of different kinds of work mm -hmm. or has it gone through an evolution where it moved from, from residential projects, gotten bigger, and then started to move more into public and community stuff over time? Yeah. Uh, so when I first started, there may have been, you know, one or two apartments and things on the books or one or two commercial offices, but there was definitely an increasing hunger or desire from the firm to work on public projects. So one of the things I started doing was tenders and submissions and competitions when I first started. And so what was that, 2013? And then in 2016 is when we got, which is a community centre for Blacktown Council. So quite a big public building to get as your, I guess, your first commission. Yep. And there was a, a couple of amenities buildings at the same time, you know, in public parks, toilets. But Woodcoff was really, I think, the, the end result of working on refining our tender submissions, being recognised that we were interested in doing that sort of work, you know, getting on the government's pre-qualification list for design excellence, which was, you know, recognition that we could do good work, even though it had predominantly been in the residential space. 
and just you know chipping away at those things and having the focus of the firm meant that we picked up more public projects and now i would say we're doing i have no idea what the percentages are but we have you know three or four commercial projects for state government projects and some community housing or some social housing projects as well. So there's a real broad non-residential, non-single house projects in the office. Yes. And so that's been, I would say, an evolution and something that's probably has always been in Sean's interest, but I would say in the last eight years has been a much more targeted focus to, to win some work in that space. Yeah. And how are you finding managing the brand and the and the sort of the, the the message of the brand or the concept or the positioning of it over time as the sort of the type of work that you're doing and the type of customer that you're appealing to changes? Is it is it something that's been a been a tricky process or something that's just falling into place pretty pretty easily? It's falling into place, but the website is an example of yeah, the, the difficulty <laughs> of changing. So, yeah. you know, to, to reconsider everything of the website again has taken time. The design, you know, I think the design's really lovely, but now we're figuring out, well, how do we talk about ourselves? How do we describe the process? And because it's a new platform or a new interface for clients, we're really looking at the way that it's all put together. And so I think I think that obviously takes and takes effort to do. But that's a great question because how do you, you know, communication is all about, well, who's your audience? And so who's our audience for our website? You know, is it really the place where they're going to be picking up public work or do we just really have that as a residential focus, which is where we think people are finding us in that way? So So, open question. Yeah. You know, totally. So with the yeah, so the residential side, it's social media. It's occasionally getting mentioned in the newspaper. It's getting published. It's doing well in awards. All those factors, and then mm-hmm. they come to your website, right? They look you up on Google. Or there's word of mouth factor as well. So they're coming to the website. But with the public projects, I mean, are you still basically identifying individual projects and then tendering for them and going through that process? Where you know your marketing does it? Does it really? Is there kind of a diminishing returns there if you put effort into your the other parts, the public-facing mm. parts of your marketing, do those? Does that actually have any effect on that sort of public project process, or is that very self-contained, its own sort of individual thing? In in your experience so far, anyway. Yeah, it's it's interesting because obviously with the open tenders, probably no influence because it's an invite everyone. Yeah. But for the smaller invited tenders, where there might be four architects or five architects, the the key I think is to get on that list of people they're asking. And so, for example, they might be asking the city architect or the strategic planners for architects they should invite for a particular project. So being on those government pre-qualification lists, you know, you've met the, you've met the standard to be awarded the work, but then being on the mind of the people who are actually making that selection. And I have no idea yeah. how those people are picked. That's a really opaque process to me. But I think having a, having a profile, because at the end, at the, at the end of the government, tender processor of people so i think you know if we're just speaking to people generally we're going to be picking up some of those decision making those decision making people in that process 
Yeah. Yeah. And there's a realm outside of the architecture industry, right? You have a profile in the architecture industry and that's in the profession and that's important. But then there's the Venn diagram or whatever gets, there's another layer, which is outside of that, where just decisions get made? Where do, where do government people associate with one another? What do they read and what do they pay attention to? And how do we get invited to give a talk to them? And there's these interactions that happen outside of just, we're not just going to the local little architects meetup to be mm-hmm. found by people that could be considering us for public projects it's there's another realm there too and i wonder what so what what is that that next layer kind of look obviously like from from my outsider's perspective it looks like having a having a strong point of view on the future of sydney and Mm -hmm. the and the broader built environment seems like what gets you into those rooms is that is that part of the key or is there other I guess, I guess are there other factors that you think help to improve your visibility amongst mm. the, the people, the, the, the planning people and et cetera, that could be involved in those, in those public I mean, it projects? Would, it would be great to know. <laughs> yeah, it would be great question. to know. Okay, so you don't, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, no um, you know, good, good relationships with project managers or, you know, design managers in government departments, I think are key. So it's... I think our, our approach, if we were to write it down, would be to be great architects in our clients' minds because they're the ones who are going to recommend us or say we were great to work with when our name is considered. If we, if we don't know the process, that's the decision-making process necessarily to be on those invites, then at least we want people to speak well of us if our name is on a list somewhere. So, yeah. I mean, and this is totally, you know, I think our main priority is being you know, being good to our clients. But the flow and effect of that is that people say we're good people to work with. And that means that, you know, and that's across all aspects of our business. So, for example, if we talk about Woodcroft, there were things we did during that early design process which were outside of our scope, outside of our fee, but we thought they were good for the project and good for the project team. So we did them, you know, presenting additional options or doing additional rework. And I think... Some of the feedback we've had is that other architects are close to that. You know, they're very mm. stringent on the scope of services and which probably works out better from a financial and a time point of view. But we've got this overarching umbrella or overarching narrative that is to be good to the client first. That's and really long interesting. Term, you know, that's going to yeah. be much more successful. And yeah, absolutely. Go on. Well, I was going to say, you know, for residential clients, that's fine. You know, the, the lines are much more blurred. But taking that approach over into public, I think we've had to learn a bit and we've had to put some boundaries in because there could be these ever-expanding projects. So it's still, I think it's still finding the balance between, yeah, having that approachable, collaborative, but then also looking after your project's financial interests as well. Yeah. Yeah. So defining, defining those boundaries is important, but also a thing that was coming to mind was, you know, if, if your big focus is, you know, treating, treating your clients very well, servicing them very, very well, it's, it also means that, you know, client selection or making sure that you're working with the right clients for you Mm -hmm. and for your practice is, 
it becomes much more important, right? If you're extremely like boundaries are set, there's no crossing them, then it doesn't really matter what we're confronted with. This is our defined service and that's what we do. But yeah. where it's a little bit more blurry, I guess you need to be a little bit more careful about identifying are these the right clients before we start working with them? Is, is that part of the approach? Because I get mixed answers sometimes from different guests and different architects. Sometimes it's very much... Hey, we pretty, it's hard to tell at the beginning. So we take on a client, then we go, we'll figure it out along the way. And other practices that are from the very first meeting, the very first question, I'm weeding out the bad, I'm weeding out the bad clients straight away. And they are gone the moment I pick up on any little sign that I smell something fishy about this client. So where, where do, where do you sit in terms of your business development process? Clients coming in the door, be they public, a developer, a single residential, I guess what's your, your process around kind of filtering and sifting for the right type of the right type of client? Yeah, so we have a multi-layered process where a mirror in our studio will often take the first call and then maybe I'll have a, a second follow-up call with them. And then the idea of that is to f- figure out if the project's right for us at that time. So often that's around the size of projects we want to do. Mm-hmm. So often we will speak, because I guess we've got a name, we speak to a lot of people which the projects aren't suitable for our firm mm. in that they might be a, a, a modest, you know, they're lovely people, lovely building, but they're quite a modest Renault. And yeah. I guess the firm's at a, at a place now where our alternates projects are quite significant. So where there's a, there's a, there's a natural filtering in that process, but we're very happy to spend time with them explaining the process, make recommendations for other architects they can speak to because we are, we see them as potential clients regardless of what their budget is, for example. Mm-hmm. So that there's a really generous process, I think at the start and through that generous process, the ones who we meet and then the ones who we give fee proposals to have been through a few steps. And for whatever reason, quite a few will go away through that process and we won't actually issue a fee proposal. But for fee proposals we give out, we're probably, you know, 60 to 80% of them we would get, I would say. So yeah. we spent quite yeah. a bit of time with the client before that point. And I think we've been very fortunate in that most of our clients are lovely. You know, all the ones I've had are amazing. You know, sometimes we've, you know, I think about a few commercial projects have gone away because the, the, the wheels have fallen off through the mm. process. But most of our residential projects, it's, you know, very happy, long-lasting relationships. So we haven't, we haven't had, we haven't been burnt by a series of projects that make us overly cautious about picking up new clients, if that makes sense. Yeah. If you like what you're hearing so far, please share this episode with colleagues you think would benefit. And while you're at it, why not leave me a five-star review on the Apple Podcast app? Every review makes it easier for people to find the show and hear what my amazing guests have to say. Just head to ratethispodcast.com slash Dave and pick your favorite podcast app. I also love hearing your questions and I'm planning more listener Q&A episodes. So please send your questions in to questions at vanityprojects.com and I'll answer them on an upcoming episode. 
I like it. I love this. I love the sense that you guys break the rules or the conventional wisdom around what you should do or not do for clients <laughs> as the practice grows. You're like, oh yeah, we we do extra re- rework and extra stuff for them, and we we're generous in the sales process at the beginning, even if they're not immediately the right person. Mm. We still, you know, we still speak to them. There's a lot of like v- advice out there and yeah. and, and wisdom that's you got to lock it down tight once you start, you know, getting more popular as a practice and getting more inquiries. You can't be wasting time, you know, all this sort of stuff. And there's a temptation to become ruthlessly efficient mm. in that process. And I've definitely had guests or consultants on that have com- have completely broken down how they managed to get from first phone call to fee proposal in half an hour yeah. or less of investment yeah. <laughs> of time. So, yeah. but, but principle at Carter Williamson, which is interesting because it's kind of contrasting with that wisdom yeah. is we still try to keep that process as you described generous so well i think that's in the origins of sean starting the practice during a recession and so you actually you had to be generous you had to visit clients you know we've had people say the reason we chose carter williamson is because you're the only architect to come out and look at the building and Mm. we thought that was really important for you to come out and see the house now, we, we haven't got time to do that for all our projects these days. So yeah. we will visit projects that are complex or a challenging site. But really, that first meeting we like to do in our studio because it's a way of getting to know the client. You know, the house, you know we've done 20 houses just like yours. So we understand <laughs> the constraints of the project, but we've never yeah. worked with you before. So come into the office, we'll sit down and we'll talk about the project. So I think that that approach filters through to everything in that we have an email, you can email us, and we have a phone number, you can call us, but we don't have a web form. And we've spoken previously about using that as a way of filtering projects, you know, asking particular questions around scope. Get their budget, get what they're into. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. how did mm. you find out about us? But we've decided not to do that. And mm. therefore, we've decided to take in a lot of calls and spend a lot of time yeah. for projects that aren't going to turn into projects. I'm not, I'm not suggesting that that position won't change, but I think where we are now is really you can trace that back to, you know, Sean starting with a firm of just a couple of people. Yeah. Yeah, no, you're definitely, there's a temptation to cut that process down, but you're kind of fighting it as much as you can for as long as you can. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we will try and meet people and speak to people as long as we possibly can. Yeah. That's really, that's it. That's interesting. And so, on the phone, you can get a sense very yeah. quick. You know, I can, I can finish a call in five minutes, but if it, 15, I would say is the typical yeah. thing, but you can find out very quickly if you can get a sense, you know, from what the client's asking for. The classic one is, you know, can you do me a few drawings for a DA? And mm. we, I say, well, the process really is more complicated than that. It's, uh, it's about getting to know you in the process. It's not just about producing seven drawings and a DA in a yeah. couple of months. We're not the firm that does that. So, you know, I've ex- described the process and then, oh, you know, you're right. That's what I want. You know, so yeah. you might, if you just read the on web form and ignored them, or you just read the email and junked it, you, I think you would miss out on some of those opportunities. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah where they're, where they're coming in, not exactly sure of what they really need, you yeah, know, and right. then you're talking to them about that process. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's interesting. Or someone um, thinks a project is huge and it's 
tiny or I've got a little yeah. project and it's huge. So you've got to unpack that. Yeah, that's interesting too, isn't it? Yeah, so somebody could come in with a $2 million budget and be like, oh, it's just a little thing. And you're like, well, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's you actually, actually quite a lot good. for that. Yeah. Yeah, you actually get quite a lot for that. Yeah, that's amazing. It's, I, I mean, it's funny we've gone this far into the core without actually talking about your kind of role as 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 associate. You're you're the first associate we've had on the podcast because, you know, you take in in your practice. You mentioned earlier this kind of flat structure where there's a lot of responsibility kind of shared around and people mm-hmm. people do have important roles in the practice but you know you described it as kind of business development and marketing to me earlier but maybe it'd be interesting i think to learn a little bit more about your role because i think it's always people are thinking ahead in terms of when my practice gets a little bit bigger maybe maybe when mm-hmm. we're at 15 and 18 people as the director i'm not going to be i'm not going to be doing all of these different things i'm going to have to eventually entrust somebody else to take on some of this stuff. So it'd be interesting to know a little bit more, Ben, about like kind of some of the things that you're kind of responsible for in this, I guess, portfolio mm-hmm. of, of business development and marketing. Yes, I think if I talk about me specifically, the origins of me being involved in these sort of things come yep. about because I had a previous career before architecture. So I had a level of business acumen, I guess, when I started in the firm. So was able to speak to clients, had an idea around the commercial aspects of running a business. Mm. So, and therefore by having some ability, I was given more responsibility, you know, that classic yep, thing. And exactly. then that's translated into being something a little bit more formal over the years in that there's there's three people in the associate level and I look after you know, new clients, media and marketing, that sort of face of the firm, you know, going coordinating yeah. tenders, running the website development, things like that. And then we have Nula who looks at our quality assurance and then Julie who's running our interiors. So it's dividing some of the responsibility which might typically sit with a director or a principal and dividing it amongst the associates. And obviously Sean has a role to play in all of those aspects, but as a way of you know, responding to the needs of the office, we divvy that up. And then as that's grown, we've had people support me in those roles so Amira who I mentioned before again you know has a great aptitude for speaking to new clients and then recently we've hired uh, Ted to who has a communications communications background to to work yep. on our social media and our website and our award submissions and that's so that's interesting so you've almost you've actually built a marketing team really you've got multiple <laughs> people doing different things you know you've got a yep. marketing department more, more than anything and that's interesting so so Amira and Ted. So Ted. So Ted's working part time, focusing on comms. And what does that? What does that entail? Is that so? So he's is he reaching out to publications, organising photography? Just just it's the full gamut of that side of things, right? Yeah, pretty pretty much. So Ted's just recently started. I would say like a month or so. Yeah. yeah. But it's essentially all those things you've described. And so it's I was doing it, then I got really busy. So Amira was doing it, and Amira yeah. got really busy, and we realised well, actually are our architects the people we want doing this work? And so we we went out and we looked for somebody and we we advertised on pedestrian TV. So we yeah. didn't even go to the architecture jobs board. You know, we No, you went to marketing, PR, pop, yeah, culture sort of yeah. job boards. Yeah, yeah. I guess the secret weapon behind all this is my partners. Yeah. So he's like, we need to go put it on pedestrian if you're looking for this sort of person. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And you want somebody like, who that's can right. write. Yeah. Exactly. If you went out to the Australian Architecture Instagram page or another sort of architecture job board, you would be not really 
getting that right experience, the person yeah. who actually has those practical skills. That's that's interesting. So, is, and he, is he a couple of days a, a couple of days a week or yeah, just just two days at the moment, and just yeah. three days as we work up towards the architectural award submissions. Obviously, yes. every architect will know there's quite a significant amount of work that goes into preparing that. So that's interesting. And Amira, so Amira is doing new client. And the reason I'm going into detail to charting this yeah. out is because I'm trying to get, it's it's an interesting kind of lesson in an org, an org chart, I suppose, in an achievable kind of setup in terms of, mm. I could see practices organizing themselves this way a little bit. It's something that people struggle with a lot. So Amira is doing kind of new client stuff. So what sort of portion of you know, her week is uh, devoted to marketing these days. I mean, previously it sounds like it was a bit more, but uh, just handling new clients. I mean, if she's interacting with new clients, potentially corresponding back and forth with them, organizing meetings, phone calls, does it extend to all of that or is it a fairly contained role just in terms of those initial first calls and those first interactions? Yeah, no, it's uh, essentially Amira and I split the new client inquiries between the two of us. So we run yeah. a... If you want to get in the details, we have a Trello board. I only want the there. details. Let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the first one is like someone to be contacted. Then it's in conversation with Amira or in conversation with Ben. Yeah. Then we move yeah. them over to, you know, meeting organized, fee proposal needed. And there's a one and lost, whether we won the job or lost the job. And there's also another column, which is gone, we call gone away, which I guess describes those people who called, we had a conversation with, but for whatever reason, yeah. haven't gone through to organizing they've, a meeting they've gone away yeah they've gone away yeah they might come back you know often you pull people out of the gone away uh, and they're saying oh yeah that yep. was a really busy time for me sorry i never got back to you i'm ready to look at something again now and so that, i found that really helpful because it previously it was when i first started you know sean was doing all those talks to people mm. and then i took on mm. some of the responsibility and then amira took on some of the responsibility so generally if somebody calls up there's someone in the office available to talk to them which i think is good and also means you can go on holidays and you don't come back and there's, you know, 30 people to call, which is just yeah. this massive mountain of calls to make. So I think by having more people and it's also nice, you know, all our clients are different. So it's good that they get a different voice and a different approach when they yeah. call up. Um, yeah, that, that was, that's definitely a question I have, I guess, more broadly, which is that Sean, Sean is a visible, a visible director. You know, I put Sean into YouTube, multiple videos of him speaking very articulately come up. His, his presence is there as an individual, but I shouldn't anticipate that when I call for the first time, it's going to be like, hello, Sean from Carter Williamson. It's, it's, you know, there's a, and you mentioned that first meeting might be a mirror, second meeting might be you. Is that something that clients are understanding of and they get that they 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 understand that you know it's not going to be sean welcoming them at the front door necessarily they're expecting to be interacting with other people on the team because that 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 hasn't been an issue or a problem in your experience no it hasn't it hasn't been an issue so the way the way it works is clients get sean on absolutely you know he's involved in those early design meetings you know, he'll go to site visits he'll advocate for you in front of council but yeah. from day to day, you're, you'll interact with a graduate of architecture or an associate on the yeah. project. So, and you know, we we give our staff lots of responsibility in those processes. But an associate or Sean is always available to help as well. So, so yeah, Sean's all, often at that first client meeting. Occasionally, we, I might do one without him, but I would say ninety five percent of the time he's there. So, and in the residential space, I think that's really important that they get to meet with him and we get to form that relationship. And so yeah. you never lose him, but 
he's there more sometimes than others. And that, yeah. I think that largely hasn't been an issue. Yeah, it's interesting because it's definitely something that worries practices occasionally. It's an issue that's brought up with me sometimes by my clients is that they'll go, you know, we really are starting to make that transition from it being me kind of doing everything as the director to clients sort of will understand that they might be having meetings where I'm not there, you mm -hmm. know, and that's a moment that can be, can generate quite a lot of worry and anxiety for our directors when they're doing that for the first time. And sometimes the question is, do we need to approach you know, how we present our brand to the world differently because of that? Do we need to start reducing the role of me in the marketing as the director, making me a little bit less visible? Like, and I guess in a way, that's something that you have done. You're very team centric and the individual people in the company all have their own sort of prominent um, positions in the, in the marketing and stuff that you've spoken about before. So I guess you've already kind of worked it out. But, yeah. but so it doesn't sound like it's too big of a problem in reality once you actually start dealing with it. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's a, the age old thing, put the right people around you, you know, create an environment where you're reducing the bottlenecks, you know, you're entrusting people, you're training people, you, you've, you know that most of the time they're going to be making the right decision. And sometimes maybe we'll make a mistake and there's a process for that and there's a process for picking that up. And so I think Sean's you know, very good at that. And so, yeah, I think there's lots of scope for people to, to you know, run their own projects, which I think is really helpful. Yeah, on absolutely. The, on the people side, you know, we put every staff member on the website. So from the very beginning of you starting, you get put up there and on our Google Analytics, it's always been one of the very popular pages of the website. So, and I, I think that's again from doing a lot of work in the residential space, they're interested in knowing who they're going to be working with, who they're going to have on the team. And some of the people I've spoken to go, oh, yeah, I know. I've read your, bri I've read your bio on the website. Yeah. So they, and not everyone, you know, it's probably a, a small percentage that actually go through and read that, but some people want to know the details. Some people look at yeah. the pictures. Some people read about the kind of people that work there. I think Sam Sam Crawford's website might have the dog on the website as like the, yeah. the morale officer or something like that. You know, yeah. so yeah, we're not the only ones giving that sneak peek into the office and who works there. But yeah, I was I was always surprised to see that it's actually one of our more popular pages on the website. Yeah, definitely. And I think I think there are some practices that don't do it, which is a bad thing. There are some that do it but keep it very. You went to university here and graduated here and did that, but. Hmm. I think you, uh, as a practice, go a little bit further in terms of a bit more revealing into the personal stories and interests of and, and stuff outside of work as well of some yeah. of the people on the team as well. And I think that has to that has to be meaningful to residential clients because they're looking for that commonality, right? They're looking for that sort of shared sort of interest and those passions mm. as well. As strange as it sounds, but they actually kind of do care about what the office dog is sometimes. Yeah. If you're look, it, I think it's a comparison thing. If you're looking at two architects and one is just giving you absolutely nothing and the other one is this friendly, real people kind of image, I mean, who are you going to be more drawn to? But Well, I think it's, it's, about, it's about finding the right architect for you and your project as well. Yeah. You know, yeah. so when we, we, we have that open conversation with people, you know, Make it make a decision, but make sure you meet everyone you're considering first because we're going to be doing this for a few years together. It's going to be stressful. There's lots of money involved. We're making your home. So yeah. we think it's as much a gut feeling as it is around how much it's going to cost and you know what the project looks like. 
there's a lot of trust involved. So if- yeah. But on that point though, you're overall making it, you're, you're giving people what they need to form that gut opinion. I think that you're kind of quite open as a practice. So, so people are able to, you know, actually get a feeling for, do I like these people? <laughs> you know, would I want to spend time with them? It, 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 it happens. We're focusing on the online stuff a little bit probably, but through, through what people see across all the different communication channels, they, they're, they're actually able to form an opinion about, mm-hmm. about you. And by the time that they're getting to you, I imagine they're probably walking the door going, yep, this is about what I expected from yeah. these guys, not too many surprises here. Yeah, um, I probably agree with that. It's funny you it, say that you know, we, have, we have a shop front, so we're on a corner site yeah. in Summer Hill, and I've got emails from people saying, oh, you know, I hope you don't mind, but where'd you get your chairs from, your office chairs at the front table? I'm like, oh, they're, they're the Muto Cove chair from Living Edge. Why don't you come in and have a sit on one? You know, so we've invited yeah. people to come in and look at our furniture. <laughs> and so that's just a small example of, I guess, how approachable the firm is. Yes, and yes, I'm, much more yeah, visible being great. on the corner. Yeah, I've had a lot of shopfront architects on the podcast, actually. It's a disproportionate fee that we all have shopfronts, <laughs> so we're all very visible to the public. Because yeah. I think I think that's right. I think also uh, it, once you kind of get embedded in a local community, all the online stuff is one thing and that matters, but just being physically present and visible in a local area mm-hmm it's major as well it's super super important if you're in the right area as well where it kind of matches up with the work you're doing as you were mentioning yeah. earlier really really boring question about uh fee proposals <laughs> so yeah. you know you're talking about this process you're obviously spending it's a real like labor of love speaking to lots of potential clients and talking to them and not just rushing them off and everything but you get to that fee proposal stage at that point i i speak to some architects that get so bogged down in fee proposals mm-hmm. they are spending enormous amounts of time putting those together and putting those out there. Have you managed to get to a place where that's kind of streamlined so that you're able to spend more time talking to people rather than fee proposing? Or is that still a fairly substantive process in terms of putting together those? Yeah. So public work always takes a lot of time, more time than you'd expect. We have what we refer to as the donut which is like the the outside of the fee proposal, then you've got to submit the middle part, which is the project-specific stuff. So the donuts all, you know, our CVs and yep. past projects and things like that, which you can pull together fairly quickly. But there's always a bit of, yeah, there's always a bit of a process in figuring out those things. You only really get one chance at it. So we like to start early, sit on it for a bit, come down, crunch the numbers, you know, and... And it's not always me filling those things out. So we'll essentially whoever's available in the office at a certain time will be part of that bid team, I guess. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, we'll submit something. For the residential projects, I think we have that streamlined because we're on a fee, we're on a percentage fee essentially yep. for most of our projects. So we, you know, through the back catalogue, we know what it takes, and we know what our process is. We know these this scale of projects, so we don't have to think about the process specific to that project because we have a process we follow. And we typically, you know, as I mentioned before, because it's pretty loose, the budget goes up and down, the fee goes up and down. We're not charging variations. So we allow for that. And so I've recently just changed our fee proposal. We used to be an A4 portrait and now it's A3 landscape <laughs> and it's much more visual. Okay. Uh, and yeah, there's a page about them. There's a page about the project. Then there's a page essentially for each of our main stages. And then at the end, a little table for the fee. 
So it ends up being only about three pages, three or four pages. Uh, no, it's because there's, there's five stages. So there's right. five stages. Okay, five, the five pages for five stages. But it's quite yeah. it's quite visual. It's not like thousands of words cramped into lay four PDF. No. It's much more spread out, laid out, more visual, easier yeah. to digest. But they also yeah, get an architect agreement, which has all the legal yeah. stuff on top yeah. of it. So uh, a typical person will get the fee proposal, our brief pro forma. So something to get them thinking about what the project might be beyond those initial conversations we've had, which will include yeah. the fee proposal, the client architect agreement. And, you know, sometimes we've organized a survey quote or something for them yeah. ahead of time. So they get a little pack of stuff to look at. But definitely yeah. the number one is that for each of the stages, we'll have an image. So whether it's a sketch design or a render or a project under construction, so they can see visually what they're getting. And until maybe four months ago, it was just a text-based thing. So yeah, that's just right. been a recent change. Cool. And the, another kind of question that comes up with this all the time is how do you actually give that to your clients? Do you, uh, if we're talking about the residential side, for example, yeah. are they coming in and then you're going through it with them or are you giving it to them after a meeting? What's what's the process? Because obviously it sounds like it's a physical thing. You're not just sending them a digital, you know, a digital version of everything. You're actually giving them a physical packet of stuff. Yeah. So they'll, they get, sometimes they'll get something at the first meeting. So we might do a little sketch or something over a real estate plan or you know yeah. something that's come out through that conversation which they'll take away with our cards but then we'll follow up with an email pdf of the fee proposal and we always offer to run through that answer any questions so during lockdown in particular i was having zooms with people just going through some of the questions they had about it but generally that's either a phone call or an email if they have any questions yeah. Okay. So they're going, so they're often going, you're actually giving it to them digitally most of the time. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Interesting. Yep. Cool. And, and then, oh, interesting. Mm. Yeah. You, I guess the, you don't really get anything major takeaway until that first sketch design meeting yep. where you get a little pack and you get one of our tote bags and you sort of, you can take that away. And Damn. They get merch basically they at that merch. stage. That, that yeah. is exciting. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Just really quickly. I am interested in the process, particularly around awards and PR, we don't have heaps of time to get into it, but I guess what are the kind of the keys to Carter Williams' success and your methodology here? I'm interested in kind of part one, photographer, your approach to photography sort of selection. Do you use a range of different photographers or do you tend to kind of keep it pretty um, streamlined? So maybe maybe we'll start there with, with photography. What's your sort of approach? Yeah, so I think predominantly we've used three photographers um, yep. over the years for different projects so there's you know people that Sean's had a relationship with through the whole practice and then so that was Brett Boardman and Ben yep. Guthrie we you know long-term friends of Sean and the firm and then increasingly we've been using Catherine Liu for yep. some of our projects as well Concrete Blonde, Pompeii or with Catherine's work and so we we often talk about this in the office you know a lot of firms will have that single photographer, that single style, mm. which aesthetically I think is really beautiful. But I, I've been resisting that because I think the diversity is also valuable, particularly mm -hmm. when we're when we're not strategically going after a certain type of project or a certain type of client. We're wanting to work with a bunch of different people who want to do something interesting. So I guess what they share is an interest in architecture and making a nice home for themselves. So my my defense of using different photographers and different styles is just that. Well, we're speaking to different people all the time. And even to the point where we've played around with changing over the thumbnail pictures of the projects every now and then because 
different images will speak to different people. You know, we're not marketing experts, so I don't know if that's a... a no, that's so that's so smart because also, it, it you know, certain photographers tend to be uh, more attuned to certain magazines as well and certain publications, mm-hmm. uh, some than others. There's also complete different areas of the, uh, of the media landscape that's more architectural and a bit more refined and a bit more that sort of thing. And then yep. maybe more of the actual end potential homeowner um, through their meet all the media that addresses homeowners and renovating mm. and all that sort of stuff, which is very, very different photographic styles, different feeling, different vibe. So you mix you mix it up and it's also gonna it's gonna increase the diversity of different types of media opportunities that you get as well. So that mm. you're not just gonna end up in the same magazine every time you've got a new project out. So yeah. so that's really interesting. So picking kind of picking up different kinds of photographers is, uh, but obviously it's being debated every now and then. But well, every but yeah. now and then it comes up, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But we've also, you know, for most of our projects now, we'll produce a small video. Yep. So you know, we produce those. We work with a filmographer to film and produce those videos. But then we've also done some work with a local project. So you mentioned Sticklating Wildly and Concrete Blonde, and we worked with those teams. And then a few years ago, we did some stuff with Brickworks and Tim Ross. So we worked with those teams there. So, you know, it's nice working with other creative people as well. Yeah. I'm not sure that there was a famous architect. I'm not sure who it was, but they had this idea that they will always get different photographers to do their projects and to see what comes out of it, like see how the photographer sees their projects. So yeah. we're not overly prescriptive in the photos we want to get. We, yeah, we, we trust them to make some nice selections. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 No, that's, that's really important in terms of the, in terms of then what you do with those. Uh, well, okay. Firstly, touching on the video, I think that's so interesting because a lot of those uh, video projects, you obviously in one case are completely running it. You're, you know, hiring a, a filmmaker, a videographer, a production company, they're making that film for you. That's going up on your YouTube channel and say everyone should go look at those because they're really good. But then you're also doing these kind of more complex partnerships with Brickworks, with uh, effectively with advertiser or advertorial stuff. The local mm-hmm. project is often collaboration with a brand in particular that was maybe in the project. There's a lot of really smart sort of partnerships there that you can get access to extremely expensive high-end video production yeah. <laughs> in the case of the local project videos, which is pretty pretty amazing. And, and you know, I, I think the, the two films that I saw from you guys in the local project, they've clocked up at least a quarter of a million views each, I think. Mm-hmm. I think one may be a little bit more. So that's been a pretty amazing outcome <laughs> hasn't yeah. it as well but but video overall is something that how do you see that fitting in uh in terms of how you use it or what or what role do you feel that it plays yeah well i think firstly you know working with other producers you know like a local project to see your project presented back to you in yeah. a way which you just you played a role yeah in it like sean gave his voice or angel spoke there about the project but they they created it and they sort of created this narrative around it i think that's really yeah. lovely to see stuff presented yeah. back to you like that and i'm not sure what it was that started the first video being made but i think when we saw it we we're like wow that actually shows you so much about the project which you can't see in still photography and then we said well let's do this more and then we said, well, we need a new website so we can host the videos embedded in our website. <laughs> yeah. And so we want to now on our project pages, you'll be able to go through and, you know, watch small videos for each yeah. of those projects because, yeah, we just think they're quite cool to see. And, again, if you're talking about speaking to clients, some people will really love that still image, whereas others might prefer to watch a video. And to your point earlier about will people expect know what to expect when they walk in the door, 
well, they do because they see Sean talk about a project. Yeah. So they get a sense of him as a personality in the firm as well, even before they come in. I'm not suggesting yeah. that everyone's seen the videos before they come in, but increasingly I'm getting people say, oh, we saw you on a local project or we saw your video on Instagram. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you even did a cursory bit of research, you know, uh, before meeting you, that would be one of the first things that would appear. Yeah. And for my money, I would rather read, I'd rather watch a few minutes of you on the local project YouTube than read some, you know, some profile in realestate.com.au or mm. something, you know, not to, not to say anything about that format, but I know what I'm going to be more drawn to. It's nine yeah. o'clock and I'm sitting on the couch on my phone. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's going to be more of that video content. Yeah, other, other people, people that are the other way as well. Exactly, exactly, yeah. Yeah. exactly. So again, and it's a, it really comes back to that that diversity that you were talking about before. That we're not just pursuing kind of one avenue. We're being very mm. exploratory. Lots of different options. Lots of different ways that people can come into the practice and learn about us, which is really yeah. you know that's really interesting. Well, I've got a question for you on that because in this new kind of current website, we have a section for media where we say, yeah. you know, look, we're on the local project or look, we're on Housing Magazine or whatever it might be. But in the new website, we're considering just removing that and just le leaving those third-party endorsements to be in their natural state, you know. Yeah. They don't need to come to our website to see they're on the local project because they're probably going to see us there first. No, I think that's a terrible <laughs> idea. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, dude. I, I definitely think that you would definitely want to have an awards uh, a media page, but, but make it more engaging we don't just want it to be a list make it a page worth going to i particularly okay. like it when practices actually rather than just saying we were featured on domain they actually take a couple of really interesting quotes from domain and make it more of a, a scrapbook of different comments and quotes and things like that which makes it kind of cool video yep. embedded is really good but then also i would go further and i would use that stuff in other places on the website as well i'd be wanting a local oh, yeah. project video on the home page i'd be on all the individual project pages yeah, I'm a big fan of stacking it up with media and social proof because trust is just such a major factor when it comes to this stuff and feeling yeah. like, am I about to make a really the most expensive mistake of my life by potentially contacting this practice? Particularly residential stuff, you know, a lot of people will do it once, you know, twice yep. maybe. Um, yep. We've got a few repeat clients, but often it's that one, one or two big moments where they do a project. It's a so huge, it it's right. a huge moment. You want to get it right, and at that, people might be totally on board. But at that last mm. moment, it's the opposite of buyer's remorse. It's just before you buy something, you become extra terrified, uh, yeah. and and oh, I'm about to, I'm about to contact them. Am I, am I start having cold feet? Right, I start having yeah. second thoughts. That stuff there, that sort of that validation, or look at all these places, these authoritative sources, they kind of trust this practice or endorse this mm -hmm. practice. I think that that's just helpful and kind of reassuring people at that last moment when they're on their own, but. Yeah. But yes, well, Ben, I think we should probably finish up there. We've hit, we've hit the end of our time. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast and being extremely open open book with, with Carter Williamson's trade secrets. We all really appreciate it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so thank you so much, mate. You're welcome. That was good to chat. That was my conversation with Ben Peake from Carter Williamson Architects. If you'd like to learn more about Carter Williamson, you can visit carterwilliamson.com.au or follow them on Instagram at carterwilliamson underscore architects. You can also follow Ben on Instagram at Ben Peake. 
Before you go, make sure to subscribe to the podcast to hear all the amazing guests I've got coming up on the show in the new year. That's all for this episode. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you next time.